Listen to the gospel as it's found in the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 4 at verse 35. That's on page 994. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Now, I was here two weeks ago tonight, and I made a commitment to you. Anybody remember the commitment? I promised that I would ask you a question when I came back. Okay, so what was the question? What word do you have to remember? And the answer was? Awesome! But what was the Bible passage? Ah, yes, it was the story about opening up the roof and dropping the four men down. Now, you should be really pleased with yourself. I mean, it's pretty rare to remember a sermon two weeks later. That's really good. Restoration. Okay, now you can relax because I don't have a word for you tonight. (laughs) Because I'm not coming back. So, well, actually I am. Uh, There's a Sunday night in December I'm coming back. But I'm not optimistic enough to think you can remember a word from now till December. So we won't give you a word tonight. Many years ago, a friend of mine decided that he was going to create a series of question and answer Bible studies that he could use with people who wanted to learn about Jesus. And he did. He took the Gospel of John that you've been studying this year. And he wrote three Bible studies. The first one he called, Who is Jesus? The second, What has Jesus done? And the third, What does Jesus want? Now, all three of those are important questions. But I find that when I preach from the Gospels, as I often do, it seems like almost always I'm working with the first question. So tonight, the first question is, Who is Jesus? And that's that's the last verse of the reading, right? The disciples who've been with him for, who is this man? Who is this Jesus? 
So let's talk for a few minutes about who this Jesus is as we find him in this particular text. Now, it was quite a day for him. If we had started at the beginning of the chapter, on another occasion, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out in the lake while all the people along the shore were along the shore at the water's edge. Now, if you read through the chapter, it's a chapter of parables. It's probably a long day of teaching by Jesus. And then we're reading, we've read the piece at the end of this chapter, the story of him falling asleep, and the very next chapter, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerizines, and immediately a man with an evil spirit showed up. It's a very busy time in the life of Jesus, a busy day, an exciting night, followed by another busy day. Now, what's the point? The point that I want you to see initially The answer to the question, who is Jesus, is he's a human being. He's a man. He's one who in this setting is very busy and obviously very tired because he fell asleep in that boat that night. Now, there's some strange things about the story, of course. The storm comes up and he doesn't wake up. Now, it doesn't take that much of a storm around here for us to wake up in the night. We talk about the next day. Did you hear that storm? You know, that's, he, he didn't wake up. What's going on? Well, there must have been an accumulated tiredness going on in Jesus at this point. I mean, it's not easy to fall asleep in a small boat with a number of people working and talking around you uh, just to end up, uh, you know, the back end of the boat real evidence of weariness in Jesus in this occasion. When the weather got rough, he still didn't wake up. It was quite a storm. Just about 20 years ago, I was on that Sea of Galilee. And what I've learned, mostly not from seeing it, but from reading about it, what I've learned about it is that the lake can, can be pretty low at that north end of the lake. And north of, of the lake on the ground itself are what high hills or some low mountains. And, and you get deep ravines at the head of that lake. And it's, it, they, they act like gigantic funnels. You know, the, you can see uh, the weather, the wind, the storm just being drawn down into the top of that lake where Jesus was on that boat. And a sudden storm could come up with great power, as must have happened that night. Now, Matthew tells the story, Luke tells the story, Mark tells the story. Matthew calls it a great tempest. He says the ship was covered with the waves. Luke speaks about how the waters raged and the people in that boat were in jeopardy. Now, can you believe sleeping through that? I don't think so. It would be something like sleeping through a hurricane or a tornado. Not, how do you do that? 
I was thinking this afternoon, what, what was it, just over a year ago or just over two years ago that the tornado hit Joplin, Missouri, and a day or two later, I called my best friend who lives down in the Lake of the Ozarks, and, you know, he's, what, 100 miles away. I said, were you affected? How, how was it? <laughs> well, he said, I was in Joplin. And he went on to tell me what it was like driving through that tornado. He didn't talk about how he was tempted to fall asleep. You, know, you don't fall asleep in the midst of a storm like that. What's going on with Jesus that he's sleeping? Well, certainly is powerful evidence that he's a human like the rest of us, right? He was tired. He was worn out. He needed his sleep. Uh, but this idea that Jesus is truly human, that he's a man, well, even this far along in his story, there's lots of evidence of that, isn't there? When, uh, when he was born, it certainly sounded like a birth, like any other birth, a truly human being being born. When Paul writes about it in Galatians 4, he says, when the fullness of time was come, he was born of a woman. When Luke tells the story, you get the end of chapter 2 of Luke at verse 52, he, he makes a summary statement about Jesus, and he says he increased in stature and wisdom and in favor with God and man, talks about the growth process of this human being named Jesus. When you keep reading in Matthew, and it's time now for Jesus at age 30 to go public, before he does, he goes out into the wilderness, and he's tempted, and he's hungry, and he has all the normal human experiences, all kinds of evidence in the Scripture that when you ask the question, who is Jesus?, the answer is, he's a man. And certainly, that is his own testimony. In John eight forty, he says to some of his enemies, you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. So they ask the question at the end of the chapter here, who is this? Who is this? They didn't have any doubt that he was a man. He doesn't seem to be a typical man. What's going on here? What, who is he? He must be more than a man. And so the second answer to the question here and elsewhere in the Scripture is he's God. Nobody else gets both of those answers, right? He's the only one where we say he's man and we say he is God. So the story here. The storm comes up, and the people who are in the boat, except for Jesus, are professional fishermen. These are people who have been trained over a long period of time what to do when a storm comes up. And they did everything they could. And it was only in desperation when they tried everything and nothing was working that they said, we have to wake him up. Luke says, Master, Master, we perish. That's Luke's version. Matthew's version is, Lord, save us, we perish. <laughs> Mark 4, 
gives a little longer version. Somebody added here, teacher, don't you care? <laughs> Not just that we're dying, it seems like you don't care that we're dying. This is a calamity. Why don't you respond? Don't you care if we drown? Talk about the frustration. You could sense the frustration in these people at this point. And what happened? I don't know if he stretched like this and he yawned, but he calmly got up. And he spoke to the storm. And suddenly, it stopped. Now, normally in that era, area, when a storm is over, then the waves are still rollicking for probably several hours. It takes a while for the waves to calm down, even if the wind has stopped. But on this occasion, everything stopped instantly. (laughs) If they were scared before, now they're really scared. They're terrified. What kind of man is this? Oh. Hmm. Well, we have the advantage or the disadvantage that we weren't there right in the midst of the experience, so we sort of watch and talk about it nonchalantly from a distance. And from that distance, we are able to say, this Jesus is the Lord of nature. This Jesus is the boss over all creation. All through the Old Testament, they had seen a God who was in charge of everything that happened in the physical universe, who was the Lord and controller of nature. These people knew the story. They knew the story of what happened at the Red Sea when it parted and the Israelites walked across. They knew the Psalms that often referred to that. Psalm 109 106, verse 9, he rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. (laughs) Yeah, the Lord of nature can do that kind of thing. And God, especially in the Old Testament, would control stormy seas. Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9, O Lord God of hosts, who is is a strong Lord like you? (laughs) You rule the raging of the sea. When the waves arise, you still them. Ah, someone a long time ago had at least pictured God able to do this. And now the disciples have experienced it. Or Psalm 107, which is much longer. It's a, a long psalm that tells about professional seamen who get caught in a storm. And finally, they pray for help. And the psalm says, he makes the storm a calm so that the waves are still. And now here, Jesus is doing what only God can do. All those Old Testament stories about what God could do to nature, and now Jesus is doing it. (laughs) Who but the creator of the wind and the sea could control them so miraculously? And so they have to say after this, Jesus is God. 
So now they say two profound things that never have been brought together before. Jesus is man. Jesus is God. And at verse 39, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. I'm guessing you don't usually talk to inanimate things like pews and winds. How can he do that? How can he speak to something? And how can he rebuke something that is inanimate like a wind? Well, here's my hunch. My hunch is in this particular storm, Jesus saw the hand of Satan. I don't suggest that Jesus sees the hand of Satan in all storms, but in this one, He saw the hand of Satan, and it had to be rebuked. And so he's rebuking not just the storm, he's rebuking the Satan who is causing the storm on that occasion. The powers of evil are seeking to destroy Jesus. They're seeking to destroy his disciples. In fact, the broader idea here is that sin has had an impact on all of creation. It hasn't just messed us up. What is it, Romans 1 that says creation itself groans? Romans 8 maybe. Creation groans. Creation is waiting. Creation has been impacted. And Satan apparently does have some control over the forces of nature. Hmm. But here, Jesus, the Lord of creation, is asserting his control over the wind and over the sea. And he's once again overpowering the spiritual forces of the evil one. And so Jesus, in the process, is giving his disciples a glimpse of the future. Just a little glimpse of the peace that's going to be found in the new heavens and the new earth. And so Paul can speak of the earth groaning as it awaits that day. And Jesus says, here's a little glimpse of what that day is going to be like. No more storms like this. So this text teaches that Jesus is God. But it's not the only text that does so. Later in the Gospels, he calmed a second storm, one where he was walking on the water. In Matthew 14, 33, it says, those who were in the boat worshipped him. That was the response on that occasion, saying, you are certainly God's son. So these stories are intended to lead us to the point of worship. That's the response that's called for here. And what we see in the Gospels is that Jesus has a power over illness, indeed a power over demons, indeed a power over death. And Thomas, the one that we know as the one who is the most difficult to convince, By the end of the Gospels, in John 20, what does he do? 
he bows and says, my Lord and my God. They were all convinced that he was not only a man, but he was God as well. And when the writer of Hebrews wrote much later, here is what God said in the first chapter of Hebrews, but to the Son says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. To the Son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So what comes from the text? Jesus is truly human, and Jesus at the very same moment is truly God. So, a good sermon always has to ask the question, so, so what? Where do we go from this? Where do we end up? Well, what did these people expect? <laughs> what did they expect at the end of this story? What did they expect when they woke him up? At verse 38, Jesus was in the storm sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? <laughs> uh, somehow help us in this situation. I don't, know, I don't know that they were real clear about what they wanted, but they tried everything else. It's a moment of desperation. They have a sense of helplessness. Perhaps somehow he can help. Lord, save us. Wake up. (laughs) And I'm convinced that when they did that, when they awakened him, they had a little faith. Well, the text here says, do you still have no faith? Well, you read Matthew and you read Luke about it. Matthew says, you have little faith. Luke says, where is your faith? There there was a little bit here, enough to wake him up. They weren't going to go down without even letting him know about it. But it's pretty weak. It's pretty weak because we see their great fear in the midst of that. In the stress of the moment, and we can understand this, in the stress of the moment, They must have forgotten all the other experiences they'd had with Jesus. They probably weren't thinking about that occasion when they were at the wedding at the beginning of his ministry and he turned all that water into wine. That probably wasn't there at that moment. They probably had forgotten about the occasion when he healed a nobleman's son when he was miles away from the son who was sick. And maybe they'd even forgotten that occasion when he first called them and he had marvelously filled their nets with fish as part of that calling. There's plenty of evidence before, but that's gone. That's gone in the terror of the moment. Now, surely God would keep his son and their disciples from drowning in a capsized boat after all those other experiences. It couldn't happen that they would go down. And so he says, why are you so afraid? (laughs) Well, I identify with them. It seems pretty natural to be afraid at this moment. Fear not. And the challenge? Those moments when we're fearful, somehow to take the fear, put it aside, and replace it with faith. Tough assignment. 
But fear and faith are not compatible. And the Bible continually tells us to stop fearing. And the incidents like this one, the calming of the sea, are designed to help us realize, I need to take this fear and put it aside. I need to renew my faith in this Jesus. This Jesus, this Jesus who is God and who is man. And so I close by suggesting that we should worship Jesus because of who he is. He's a man, a man who understands us. In Hebrews it says he was in all points tempted like us, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Man, but so much more. The Lord of nature as well. When John starts his gospel, he says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He's man, he's God, and he's the object of our faith. Not object in some cold way, I don't mean to use it that way, Object in the sense he's the point. The faith is directed toward him. As John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Their question was, are we going to perish? And the answer was no. If you put your faith in him, you don't perish. You have everlasting life.